Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for life and leadership in Christ. If we haven't met yet, my name is Tony and I am your host. I care deeply and passionately about helping you follow Jesus so that you can lead others more intentionally. Today on the podcast, Gary Miracle Jr. He suffered a blood infection, which caused him to lose his arms and legs, a quadriplegic amputee. An incredible story, an incredible man, an author, a speaker, a motivator. His latest book, No More Bad Days, comes out this week. You're going to need to pick up a copy. And I'm so thankful for this conversation about identity, about hope, about what comes next. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Gary Miracle Jr. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited today to have author, motivational speaker, and <laughs> fighter advocate with us, Gary Miracle. Gary, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Oh, man, this is great. And and it's so crazy to hear all of those different descriptions of me and and who, who would have known. Obviously, Jesus did, but so cool, man. Thank you. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Going. <laughs> well, I, I mean, you've so you've done a lot of things, right? And you and I were talking before we even hit record, and you've had years of wandering, and then you've had some major life tragedy, which turned into incredible life opportunity, and now here we are. And so, I always like to start with the macro, and and I want to ask the question: How would you describe the calling that God has placed on your life? Oh my goodness gracious! You, you know that that's such a deep question that. That I think people are 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 very quick to give, you know. I think what we would call like a Sunday school answer for, right? You know, God's called me to be a servant, and I'm sure. called to be just like Jesus, and and yeah, all of those things are true, and I'm not discounting that or dismissing that whatsoever. But man, in, in today's world, with the way things are going, and, and in my life specifically, you know, how I would define God's calling on my life is humbly submitting to His plan, because. Never in a million years would have I thought I would be where I'm at right now, what I look like right now, and what I get to do right now. So I believe that God's calling on my life is to just be faithful. And if he opens a door, to try to find the courage to walk through it and and pray that I don't mess up too, too much along the way. Man, that's such an interesting concept, and I, I love it because I think a lot of people are looking for that door. So, mm. so let me follow up this and drill down a little bit more. How, yeah. how do you know what is a God door and what is just a Gary door? Yeah, that is, a, that is something that terrifies me every single day because, because the Gary door is a very selfish, fleshy uh, door that I want to get what I can get to make me look cool and to make me look good looking and to make me mask what is genuinely going on in my heart. And, you know, there are a lot of doors, right? There are a lot of opportunities. There are a lot of conversations. There's a lot of relationships that, that, uh, you know, I get, and I think we all get at the end of the day uh, on a daily basis and just praying so hard and so fervently for that wisdom and that discernment that that God promises He'll give us if if we if we are genuinely asking Him for it and seeking Him with all of our heart, but you know not every door is a good door, and yeah. and, and I've walked through plenty of doors that are not good doors in my life, and I, and I probably still am. I mean, you know, if, if if you knew half of the thoughts that I had in my head today, you probably wouldn't even want to be talking to me right now, right? Like those these doors that we have. And, and what the enemy presents us and then the, and the wolf in sheep's clothing, they're terrifying. So tons and tons of prayer trying to figure out and, and have the wisdom and discernment to walk through what I believe is a door that Christ has opened for me and not something I'm trying to force open myself. Well, one of the interesting things about your story is that um, you now have a platform that's built on <laughs> – tragedy. I mean, I don't know how else to say it, right? Like it's not something that anyone ever plans for. Um, for those of, of the people who are listening, who, who may not know your story, can you kind of fill us in on how, um, how you got to a place where now you're writing a book about no more bad days? 
Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'll kind of I'll kind of expedite it to the point of that that portion. But you know, I I was living the first thirty five, thirty six years of my life. I would say the all American life, right? Like I grew up in the church. Uh, my dad was my youth pastor. My parents are still together. Like their marriage is still strong. They still love each other. They still set a good example. I played sports all my life. Um, then, then I got older. I got married. I had kids, and living the all-American life. My wife at the time was a stay-at-home wife. My kids played sports. They still do play sports. I'm. I was the head coach of their football teams and soccer teams, and I still am by the grace of God, which which we'll talk about how how goofy that looks here in a little bit, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, but but you know, I, I still get to do that. And then, right? <laughs> and then the however, and then the but, and then all those things. Like all of that was happening and and life was going great. So I thought. And then tragedy hit me pretty stinking hard. Um, it was December 26th in 2019. I got sick. Uh, it was the day after Christmas. It was flu season here in Florida. Most people had the flu. One of my kids in my home had the flu. Uh, so I got sick and, and, you know, everybody told me I had the man flu cause I was just complaining all the time. And, you know, life was the worst and what was me and get me some water and make me food kind of thing. But man, I was, I was feeling really, really sick. So like I said, it was, it was right after Christmas and in between Christmas and new year's, you know, your, your primary doctors and whatnot, they don't hold regular hours during that last week of the year. It's sure. a lot of vacation time, so on and so forth. So I went to the emergency room at the hospital. Actually, they asked me a series of questions because it was flu season. And because of the answers to my questions, it chalked me up to, I had the flu. Got a, tam- got a Tamiflu shot, got a steroid shot, and they sent me home and gave me the, uh, the, the, the normal, hey, if you're not better in 10 days, come back and see us again kind of conversation. So I went home. Uh, I went home. The next day I woke up, and my goodness gracious, I was feeling so much worse. And uh, I didn't know what to do. You know, I, I wanted to tough it out. I wanted to drink a lot of water. I wanted to rest. I wanted to do what they told me to do. But it got so bad that I, I went back to the emergency room, actually, which is pretty rare for me because I, I did want to be the tough guy, right? Like yeah. the, the typical man guy. So, But I went back to the emergency room and, and I end, ended up having an allergic reaction to one of the shots they gave me the day before. So on top of being sick, now I'm having an allergic reaction Things are going all over in my body, and uh, they gave me another shot. Gave me another steroid shot to counteract all that. Sent me home with the good old, hey, if you're not better in 10 days, come back and see us again concept once again. And, and through a series of events and a long story short, on December 31st, 2019, New Year's Eve, uh, December 31st, 2019, I went back to the emergency room for the fourth time. Um, so to the emergency room four times between December 26th and New Year's Eve. And when I went to the emergency room, they looked at me, they rushed me back into a room, they admitted me, and they looked at my family who was there and out of nowhere said, you need to call the rest of your family and friends to come say goodbye. We don't think he's going to make it. Wow. And, and it, was, it was a moment. Um, I was declining rapidly. Um, now, I have to pause and give a disclaimer right here because uh, when I went back and they admitted me, I was slipping into a coma actually. Mm. And uh, because of that, I don't remember much of this. So everything I say here in the next like five minutes could be a complete lie. I have no idea. This is just what people told me <laughs> is what happened. So I'm telling you what they told me. Sure. And, uh, hey, if it's a lie, I'm sorry for lying to you, but I think uh, most people's stories are consistent, so hopefully I'm telling the truth along the way. Um, but here's what here's what really happened at the end of the day. Uh, I was falling into the coma. I was actually falling into septic shock. Uh, my body was falling into sepsis because while I had the flu, um, I developed strep throat along the way. And unfortunately, that strep throat went undiagnosed. And that strep got into my bloodstream, and that's what caused me to go septic. 
doctors looked at my family and were like, we're, we're, we're kind of too little, too late here. Everybody needs to come say goodbye. Uh, so they started calling on my family and friends to, to come to the hospital to say goodbye to me because I had the flu like four days ago. It was, it was, it was blowing everybody's minds. And um, one of my family members at the time was actually living in Orlando, Florida, which was 45 minutes away. And while she was driving to the hospital where I was at, she felt like she heard from the Lord and had this vision from the Lord that I needed to be on something called an ECMO machine. Uh, it's a machine that I had never heard of. My family had never heard of. Don't know if you've heard of it. Don't know if anybody who's listening to this has ever heard of it. Uh, I'll explain to you what it is in just a second, but she felt so strongly. So she arrived at the hospital where I was at. She told the doctors, you know, we think he needs to be on an ECMO machine. And their response was, well, we're minute by minute here. We're at the end of our rope. They actually gave me a 1.7% chance to live through the night on New Year's Eve. Wow. Uh, Pretty, pretty low odds, right? Um, so they looked at my family and said, you know, if, if you think he needs to be somewhere else, we'll initiate a transfer. So they started Googling and looking for hospitals. And at that time, there were only seven hospitals in the state of Florida that had an ECMO machine. And one of them happened to be back in Orlando. So at 11 p.m. on New Year's Eve 2019, literally one hour before us here on the East Coast, we're celebrating Happy New Year. I was getting in a helicopter to be life-flighted from one hospital to another um, into January 1st, 2020, which was the best year of all of our lives, right? <laughs> uh, so I was, I was airlifted. I arrived in Orlando. They rushed me into the ICU unit. They hooked me up to what I later found out was 46 different machines that I was hooked up to just wow. pumping things in and out of me the whole time. Once they got me hooked up, they looked at me, they looked at my family, and they said, why in the world is this dude here? They confirmed the minute by minute that my life was just hanging by a thread. Um, and, and my family told them, we believe he needs to be, we're here because you guys have an ECMO machine, and we think he needs to be on the ECMO machine. And without them even really finishing that sentence, they looked at my family and said, well, he's not a candidate for the ECMO machine. Uh, so... It was very confusing for them. Like, why did they feel so strongly? Why did we go through all that? Why did we get on a helicopter, go to another hospital just for him to die here instead of there and leave us with all these medical bills and all that kind of stuff? And, you know, if he's going to die, why did we go through all that? Now, spoiler alert, look, I didn't die. Like, I'm, I'm right here. So Praise the Lord. <laughs> yeah, here I am. Um, so they were just minute by minute. They were, they, they gave my family the whole, like, we're going to keep them as comfortable as we possibly can conversation at that time. And, and if you know much about hospitals, you know, that 7am and 7pm every day are shift change times. So 7am came around shift change time came the, the day shift come in, the night shift was going out. They were filling each other in on all their patients. And the first thing that doctors do when they clock in is they go and make their rounds and, and the, the day shift was making their rounds, bed by bed, room by room, and they get to my room. And at 7.18 a.m., all the doctors and nurses are standing around my bed and in unison, all 46 machines at the same time gave the long, solid beep. And I was laying on a bed at 7.18 a.m., lifeless. I had died right then and there in front of them while they were doing their rounds. Code blue started coming all over the, the intercom and the speakers. Additional doctors and nurses came rushing in. This little 70 pound, you know, soaking wet nurse jumps on top of my chest and just starts King Konging me, right? Just to, just, just to try to do anything to bring me back. And it was all of their efforts that at 7.29 a.m., so 11 minutes later, so I was, I was dead for 11 minutes laying on that bed while they were working on me. By the grace of God, they never turned the oxygen off to my brain, which is the only reason I am not brain damaged today, according to me. Um, some people may, or anyways, but, but uh, you know. <laughs> I, I got the dad uh, joke there. I got the okay, dad joke. Go. Uh, so they didn't turn the oxygen off. 7.29 a.m., they brought me back. Uh, the new regime of, of day shift people came out to the waiting room. They looked at my family and said, we found a slight pulse in him. The new cardiac surgeon who was on call at that time came out with them. 
said, we got the slight pulse. We have no idea what we're going to do. We're minute by minute here, but we're going to throw up a Hail Mary and put them on something called the ECMO machine. And then everything just started making sense. So they rushed me back into surgery. It's about a five or six hour surgery putting me on this machine. And it's a form of life support. This is what the ECMO machine is, is it's a form of life support that people are put on after they receive a heart transplant or a lung transplant. Mm. What it does is it keeps all of your other organs running strong while your new heart or your new lungs kick in. You know, and, and how it does that is it takes all of the blood and the oxygen and the circulation from your extremities and it pumps it into your core to make sure that your other organs are staying strong. Now, most doctors are pretty good at what they do these days. So most people are on the ECMO machine for about a day after they have a heart transplant or a lung transplant. um, and, And then they're off of it. Well, for me, I was in a coma on the ECMO machine life support for 10 days from January 1st to January 10th. So for 10 days, my arms and my legs weren't receiving any blood or oxygen or circulation and they just started dying on me. And my family had that choice to make. Do we lose his limbs or do we lose his life? And, and my family looked at them and said, we'll take him back however you can give them to us. So they, they, they fought for me. And then either God wasn't done with me yet or he didn't want me. I don't know which of the two. But on January 10th, I opened my eyes for the first time and I saw my mom's face, which is... I guess how it should have been. That's how I came into the world the first time. So it was good that I came back to life the second time. And I saw my mom <laughs> once again. Say, this is good. You're catching everything that I'm throwing down at you right here. This is, this is good. Um, so, you know, I woke up and then I started learning the gravity of my situation. You know, I started learning like what in the world, like all I remembered at that time was going to the hospital on December 26th. Like everything else was just. So you you don't have any memories of being under and what that looked like or. Unfortunately, I do have one memory. Uh, One of the questions that people ask me, you know, especially in those 11 minutes when I, when I lifeless, like, you know, did you see the light? Did, did you see the pearly gates? You know, those kind of things. And, and I didn't, and, and, and I don't remember, which scared the heck out of me. So as soon as I got out of the hospital, I went straight to the altar just to make sure I sealed the deal. Right. Like, I, sure. I, 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 <laughs> right. I'm not going to let that happen. Like, I, I would like a little insurance here if we can get it. <laughs> right. I, I'm going to double stamp, triple stamp this, this concept that I thought I had. But, uh, I, unfortunately, the only memory that I do have being in my coma is having these horrific nightmares um, and, and nightmares that uh, were very difficult for me to talk about at first. But every single nightmare was the same. And they were nightmares that felt like they lasted 24 hours each, like it was that long. And in, and in every nightmare, I was stuck in the corner of a room in a glass in a glass room watching life go by. I was watching my, my parents. I was watching my kids and I was pounding on the glass, trying to get their attention and screaming at them to help me come get me. And, and, and so much so that, that I remember in my nightmares, trying to take my own life in my nightmares because I didn't want to do that anymore. Um, and, and those are unfortunately the memories that I have while I was in my coma and then, and then to wake up and learn the gravity of my situation and to look at my arms and my legs at the time. And I, and I wish I could show you what they look like right now in, in this shot. But um, there's two words that they used to describe what was happening to my arms and my legs. And the first word was necrotic. Everything was uh, – my arms and my legs were just – they were necrotic. It's a medical term, which means they just started dying. They were turning – pitch black and they were hard as a rock, you know, as if you took a hammer out on concrete and started hitting it, that's what my arms and legs looked like and felt like. Um, The other term that they used, which I didn't know was a medical term at the time, but it was mummified. And, and I, I mean, I thought that was pretty cool. Like if you're going to die, like you're (laughs) going out, like my kids would grow up being like, yeah, unfortunately my dad died, but he died as a mummy, but uh, that, that didn't happen. So, you know, I started learning of that and, and, and man, by the grace of God, I was, I was able to, to wait and we put the doctors off as long as we could regarding what they were going to do to my body. Just, you know, what we thought to give God a chance, like we knew 
in my heart. Everybody knew in their hearts that God was going to heal me wholeheartedly and, and physically. Um, there was one specific day. I know I'm kind of rambling here, but I don't care. Like there was one. Uh, hey, hey, bro, it's your party. We're here for it. Man, right on. But there was one specific day that uh, my family got calls from six people. And, and, and this sounds like an exaggeration and sounds dramatic, but, but literally six people called my family one morning and told them that they had dreams the night before that I was not going to lose my limbs and I was not going to lose my hands and my legs. Um, and that obviously gave us a ton of hope, right? Like we were, we were all over the map mentally thinking like, okay, like God's, God's going to prove these doctors wrong. Like God's going to show up here and, and I'm not going to lose my hands and my legs. Um, and then two points to this. I did lose my hands and my legs. I am now, <clears throat> I am now a quadruple amputee. I don't have hands. I don't have feet. Uh, but man, I'm the first to tell people, and this is where we get to flip the script. And this is where we get to dive into uh, some, some good, deep, conversations here is I get to look at people and I get to tell them that, that man, those dreams, they weren't wrong. And I, there's going, and there's going to be a day and I know it and I believe it that I'm going to be flying and running as fast as I possibly can down those streets of gold with my hands and my legs. And, and man, I lost them, but this is just my physical body here on earth. But I genuinely believe in my heart of hearts that God didn't mess up on me. God didn't make a mistake on me. God didn't forget about me. God just knew that this was going to be a blip in my story. Um, you know, I share all the time. You know, the, the verse that came to my mind while I was in the hospital before the amputations took place was the verse in the book of Job. Uh, and it's, it's the token verse that everybody can say, probably whether you're a Christian or not, people have heard this verse and have used it before, but the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Um, it's Job chapter one, verse 21. And, and I spent all of my life and the Lord has given me everything, man. The Lord has given me everything I needed, everything I thought I wanted. He's given it all to me. But three and a half years ago in my life, it was taking away time. And it was time for him to take away my hands and my legs. But praise God, that verse doesn't end there because it says the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. Mm. So that is where I'm at, man. That's the line in the sand that was drawn for me. And I had to make a decision. Am I going to say my entire life that God is good and preach that God is good and try to convince other people that God is good? But then when something traumatic happens to me in my life, live now like he's not, man, I, I couldn't do it. So I, I want to be able to have said all of my life that God is good and preach that God is good and convince other people that God is good. And then something traumatic happens to me in my life and I lose what I felt like was everything and still be able to look people dead in the eyes and say, God is still really, really, really good through it all. How long from the time that you woke up from the coma, like when you regained consciousness to the time that you had to make the decision on the amputation? So the decision medically was already made. Sure. Um, you know, but before, were, you, before you had to say like, before they, yeah, before it went down, um, you know, they wanted to do the amputations while I was in my coma. It was that bad. Uh, so I would have woken up on January 10th without hands and legs. Um, had they done that, both of my arms would have been amputated above my elbows and both of my legs would have been amputated above my knees, which as an amputee, or if you, if you look into anything, the quality of life without your joints, your elbow joints and your knee joints is drastically different than it is with your joints, especially for prosthetic purposes and whatnot. So we begged the doctors to wait as long as we could. And he allowed us to do it as long as infection didn't start setting in because my body wouldn't have been able to take another yeah, round. Yeah, sure. So, um, woke up from my coma on January 10th. Both of my hands were amputated on March 18th. So, holy smokes. A little over two months later. And by the grace of God, now, okay, here we are. By the grace of God, I have my elbows. So, yeah. 
they were able, and you can see the scar tissue. Yeah. One, I had tattooed black because I didn't like it, but you can see the scar tissue. Had they amputated, it would have been way up here at that time. So on March 18th, they allowed me to go back in and just take my hands and my wrists. Um, it was on March 25th, about a week later, they went in and they took my left leg. Uh, infection was starting to set in. And you can kind of see that, feel that, smell that. You know, you know an infection's kind of there. So uh, they took me back there. They took my left leg. Again, by the grace of God, I was able to keep my knee on that. And then one month later, on April 25th, is when they took my right leg. And again, I was able to keep my knee on that as well. And then I went home. And now it's time to figure out what life is going to look like with this new normal. Yeah, I'm really curious about the relationship with your wife during all of that, mm -hmm. right? So you're in the hospital, obviously. You're you're navigating all these. These are, I mean, they have to feel like elephants sitting on her chest in terms of decisions that have to be sure. made. Um, as a as a husband who desperately loves his wife, and and by all accounts on Instagram, it looks like you guys are madly in love, which I love. Um, how how do you how do you lead your spouse when? she had to make some of the most difficult decisions that you weren't there for about you that are going to change your life forever. I, I just have to imagine it adds a layer of complexity to the relationship that most of us don't have. Man, this is a part of my story that is a redemption part of my story right here because she had to make very, very, very difficult decisions on my behalf. She had to do a lot of research. She had to make a lot of calls she had to fight for me in ways that people, you know, don't mm. think they would ever have to fight for somebody for, right? Um, and and those decisions obviously were a huge part in saving my life. Now, here's the portion that that I I get to share in the book, and now I get to share openly and confidently because God's story is so redeeming. Is that when I got discharged from the hospital and I got home and I started becoming more independent, she decided to take another path. And uh, we actually ended up getting a divorce. And um, my wife at the time who was there with me in the hospital is not my wife that you see in the picture right behind me right now that I'm madly in love with, who, who chose me like this who chose me in this state and who fights for me now and who stands with me and who sits with me and who cries with me and who rejoices with me. But, you know, and, and not a lot of people really understand that when you're standing on an altar getting married and you're saying the words in sickness and in health and until death do us part, you never really know if you genuinely mean that until your feet are against the fire and, and you're up against the wall. And, and, I, and I'm thankful for my wife at the time. Um, the, what I, the, the phrase that I used is, and it, and it sounds a little harsh and I don't mean it as harsh as it sounds, but, but our marriage served its purpose. Yeah. You know, we have three beautiful biological boys, which are in that picture right there. I have one beautiful adopted daughter from Columbia, South America, and, and we were that family unit. And now my wife has three biological kids, so there are seven of us total. And the redemption story that God had for me in just that portion of my story alone, which I get into a lot in the book, um, there's actually two whole chapters about that portion of the redeeming part of my story. Uh, but they have fought for me. My wife at the time fought for me in the hospital. And then that time came to an end. That season came to an end. That chapter, figuratively and literally in the book, has come to an end. And then God takes over and redeems it and restores it and is all a part of where I'm at right now here today. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Like I, I've done a deep dive into your story and I never hear anything negative about your your first wife mm -hmm. right and and so you you've always 
at least publicly been very above reproach on that topic. I think that there's probably somebody listening right now who's really struggling with forgiveness of someone who hurt them, who they didn't do anything wrong, you know, all the things, right? What does, how did forgiveness work for you or, you know, that, that process? Yeah, man, I, forgiveness was massive in regards to kind of what happened and how it happened. But um, as I mentioned, you know, early on in my story, it was around 35 or 36 years old that I went through what I would call at that time, you know, for lack of a better term, like my identity crisis. Like I didn't know who I was. I grew up in the church. Like I said, my dad was my youth pastor, but Mm -hmm. I, I quickly realized in my mid thirties that at the end of the day, like I had taken on the faith of my family, the faith of my parents, which I think a lot of people do and maybe not realize in today's day and age, especially of those of us who grew up in the church, you just kind of take on what's there. You take on what's available and then, and that's your identity. But I went through that crisis and, and I actually reached out to a dear friend of mine and I'm like, man, I have no idea who I am. And he linked arms with me and said, I just went through that. So he linked arms with me. He shared a book with me and we walked through this book together and it was all about identity and more importantly, the grace of God and what Mm. grace is and what grace looks like. And just as much as forgiveness is a part of our lives, it's grace that allows me the ability so far to be able to say that marriage served its purpose. You know, I, I, who am I? You know, ye without sin cast the first stone. How can I take a plank out of somebody else or a speck out of somebody else's eye when I have a plank in mine? And, and, and I think when, when, when everything boils down and then we start understanding what grace looks like and who we are in Christ and Christ in us and, and realizing that, that through it all, right here, right now, like keeping Christ the center of attention in my life and keeping Christ the center of attention in my new marriage, and even in this stinking conversation, right, and being so intentional about keeping Christ the center of attention, everything else kind of fades away. And then you realize, man, the verse in Galatians isn't just a verse, like, the old is gone, the new has come. I am no longer me, but it's Christ in me. So it's not Gary Miracle who is on this podcast right now. It's not Gary Miracle who's the author of a new book. It's Christ in Gary that gives me the ability to do these things by his grace, by his identity. And when I accepted him into my life and became a Christ follower, I genuinely believe in my heart of hearts that he didn't hold anything back from me. He yeah. gave me all that he's got, all of his power. All of his authority is infused with who I am in my veins, in my DNA now, and I am Christ in me. Mm. And if I didn't have that, I would be a very, very different person right now. But that's what gives me the ability, not about what somebody else has done, not about what somebody else has done to me, but Christ in me forgives 70 times seven. Christ in me turns the other cheek because I have learned more than I think most people right now that tragedy can come at the blink of an eye, but in a 30,000 foot view, this is just a blip in my story. And my first marriage was just a blip in my story. My medical journey is just a blip in my story. Writing this book at the end of the day is just a blip in my story as amazing as it is and as fun as it is. And, and, and all of these things I get to do, man, it's a blast, but Somebody told me when I was 11 years old that Jesus was the answer, and that's when I decided to, to try to take that on and put it on and wear it. Literally on October 6, 1991, sitting in the third row pew on the right-hand side of Rockledge Baptist Church, Pastor Randy <laughs> Sensible, and I remember it all, man. It was everything, and he ended with Jesus is the answer, and I was 11 years old. And here I am as of July 15th, what, 11 days ago? I turned 42 years old, and after these 31 years, man, all I have figured out is with all of my efforts and with everything I've tried to do and tried to fight for and this justice fighter and this protective person in me, like putting all that aside 31 years later, man, I can just sit here and rest and say that, holy cow, through it all, Jesus is the answer. I've been trying to fit a square peg into a circle hole for 31 years and it just hasn't worked. But, but learning that Jesus is the answer, 
can allow me to sit and rest and trust and just like, man, you can't give grace until you've tasted it. And God kept me alive and God's given me grace. And I've seen him show up time after time again. There's another verse in the book of Job, chapter 42, that says, I've heard about you all my life with my ears, but for the first time I've seen you with my eyes. And, and I feel like I saw Christ show up in my hospital stay of 107 days to save my life, save my life time after time again. I saw him with my eyes. So how dare I treat anybody else differently than the way that he treats me right now? So I hope that answers your question. I don't know if it does or not. But. Come on, Pastor. Let's preach it. I'm here for I mean, I I it. Somebody pass the offering plate. <laughs> yeah, GaryMiracle.com <laughs> slash donate. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, man, but yeah, man, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to look down on anything. I'm thankful yeah. for, for everything that's happened. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that um, has become one of your slogans is no more bad days. And, yeah. uh, and I'm wondering if you can kind of take us through, I, it feels like you did already a little bit, but like <laughs> where, where, when did you decide that that was going to be a mantra that you would carry? Yeah, uh, it was, it was in, uh, October of 2021. I was actually at a, uh, a New York city fashion show for amputees. I got the walk, the red carpet, man. I was, I was doing my thing. Get it. Uh, yeah, that, that was weird. Like I, I just learned how to walk. I didn't. I was just at the end of the day, I was just trying not to fall, you know. But there I was. <clears throat> but I was there, and I and I realized, like, goodness gracious, you know, more importantly than the title of the book, "No More Bad Days," in my opinion, and it will explain the "No More Bad Days" is the subtitle of the book, and and the subtitle of the book is "Trading the Pursuit of Perfection for the Gift of Grace." Yeah. Um, and that is is where I was going with the first 35, 36, 37 years of my life versus my outlook now. Because, man, I, I always wanted to be who I needed to be based on who I was with. You know, I, I would change who I was my whole life. I was the guy in high school that would go to the parties on Friday nights after the football games, holding the red solo cup filled up with beer. Wouldn't take a sip of it because I thought it was disgusting, but I was holding it because that's what I needed to be in front of those people, man. I needed to look cool. I needed to be a part of that. But then I was the guy on Sunday mornings with my hands thrown up high in the air, worshiping Jesus as if I wasn't in the world 48 hours ago doing that. Um, And I, I was a chameleon. I had a mask on all my life. Nobody genuinely knew who I was. I was chasing the cheers of every single person I was coming across with because that pursuit of perfection meant everything to me. That's all I cared about. I wanted everybody's affirmation. I was terrified. I had the biggest fear of rejection. Combine those two together and you're a different person in every conversation because all you want is everybody to love you and like you and want to be with you and hang out with you and think the best of you. And then everything changes in your life. And you can have that come to Jesus moment in any way that God, Christ decides that you're going to have that come to Jesus moment. But mine was through my identity crisis. And then I realized the gift of God's grace has been so much more sufficient in my life than any stinking pursuit of perfection that I tried to do. Yeah. So, so I, 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 I've taken that and I was like, man, forget the pursuit of perfection. It hurt me. It ruined relationships. It it had no idea who I was. My identity was all over the place. It was wrapped up in every which way. But I'm going to trade that for the gift of God's grace. And if I can do that, then I can realize that Christ's mercies are new every single day. And if his mercies are new every day, then how can I possibly have a bad day? And it's not just some religious mantra or slogan that I'm trying to take to the masses like it's it's not some detachment of reality that I'm trying to do because I understand we're going to have bad situations like things kind of stink sometimes there are really crappy situations there are bad circumstances there are hard things that we have to do but at the end of the day man Christ is crazy about us even on our worst day he's madly in love with us and then I get to go to bed and wake up and his mercies are new every day so Man, from here on out, I'm just rolling with no more bad days, you know, as much as I possibly can. 
One of the things I love about um, your platform is the term that you use, fighter. And I was jumping into some of your story, and I, I since your amputation, I've seen that you've gone out of your way to speak publicly about the healthcare crisis for amputees, specifically amputees that, um, you, you know, I, I mean, yours was completely out of your control. You didn't do anything wrong. There was no fault there, and yet um, the medical system that we currently live in doesn't provide adequate resources. Uh, one of the things that I was listening to talked about the ability to stand up in the shower with a shower leg and, um, and what that means and looks like. And so I, I really appreciate the way that you fight. I, I want to get to kind of a, a kind of that cross section of how, how do you, how do you stay really positive and still carry that burden to fight um, and, and live out your faith and also, call out BS and all, all the different, I mean, cause it feels like this kind of weird convergence of all the things. What's that tension like in your heart? You know, it's, it's a lot there. There's one portion just being real and honest. That's just a fake it till you make it kind of mentality that sure. I have to have sometimes. But the flip side of that coin is, man, I'm, I, man, I just, at the end of the day, Every single one of us on this planet have struggles. Like we all have struggles. We all do. Like I I have struggles. You have struggles. I'm sure if not buckle up, they're coming. Everybody else has struggles. Like, like we all have struggles. And, and if that is true, if, if I'm not just blowing smoke, if it is true that we all have struggles, then I would venture to say that the only difference between me and you are that my struggles are visible. You can, you can see them. You know, you can see my struggles. Um, Some of the scariest things on the planet are the struggles that you can't see, the invisible struggles. Mine are very visible. You can see if I were to take a drink right now, I have to hold it and take a drink. Like it's difficult and I have to worry about this slipping out of my stumps in order to take a drink. You know, there are things of you know, that, that, that people do without even thinking because it's muscle memory. You know, I, like I've seen you lean back in your chair. I've seen you fix your microphone. I've seen you look down and maybe look at a keyboard or your phone. Like those are things that I can't do anymore. Sure. But it, it's not to say that to be like, man, feel sorry for me or, or, or even how dare you do that in front of me kind of mentality. It's just that we all have struggles. And the only difference between me and most other people are that my struggles are visible. But what I have learned along the way is that, man, anxiety is a very real thing in today's day and age and, and depression and, and finances and eating disorders and pornography. And I could go on and on and on and on yeah. about, about the struggles that we have. So if we all have struggles, what I'm finding is as I'm going out there and, I, and, I'm, and I'm given this opportunity to talk to people about them, People are raising their hands saying, man, me too. Like, I, gosh, I do struggle with anxiety. And, and I'm a genuine, genuine believer that, that sin and struggles in our lives find its power when it's hidden. And, and the more we hide it because we're too prideful to share it, we're too scared of being judged if we tell someone about it. Because we hide it, it's growing, and that sin and that struggle finds its power. And I'm just trying to be the voice for people that don't have a voice or are scared to have a voice right now and fight for those that can't really fight for themselves. And, and, and that's across the board, man. I want to fight for amputees. I want to, I want them to have the best possible quality of life on this planet. I don't want people to have to feel like me sometimes when they're walking down a grocery store and moms are pulling them close because I look weird. I don't want people to be out on the football field and say, why is my head coach in a wheelchair? Like, no, I want to normalize struggles because the more they're normalized, the more they're vocalized, the more they're out there, the less stigma there is to it, the less taboo they are. Man, at the end of the day, if we all struggle, like, why are we not talking about that? Right. And, 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 and I'm desperate for people. I beg people to just find one person in their lives that they can really take their mask off and say, this is who I really am. This is what I'm really struggling with. And I am fighting as hard as I can, whether you have hands or legs or anxiety or depression or not. And I'm on your team. I'm on your side because I now know what it feels like to be the guy when moms pull them close saying, don't look at them. Don't ask questions. Don't stare. Don't that like, 
no, come on. Like, I want this to be normal. Like, if my if the only difference is my struggles are visible and yours are invisible, I'm not going to pull my kids close because you struggle with anxiety. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. So why do that to other people with visible struggles? So I'm fighting for those people as hard as I can in the medical system, in the insurance system, in the prosthetic system. I just want everybody to have the best quality of life that Christ intended you to have with him at the center of attention in in any possible way that I can so that it's not weird. And I, and, and what, what I found is by the sharing of my struggles, my struggles personally, visible and invisible, I have found that I am loved more and not judged because of the sharing. And, and I've never felt more loved and more, man, I, this is what gets me, man. I've never felt more loved and more seen in my entire life than I do right now. Even because of people like you, man, who are like, man, I don't care what you look like. I don't care that you've lost your hands and legs. Let's just talk. Yeah. Let's just do that part because now we can find anything to argue about, right? We can argue about politics. We can argue about the medical system. We can argue about sports teams. There's interpretations of scripture. We can argue about anything. But the only thing that you can't argue with me about is my story, what happened to me, my testimony, what God has done in me and what he's doing through me. So if the only thing we can't argue with each other about is our individual stories, and why the heck are we not just talking about our individual stories? And let's just love on each other and let each other know that And whether whether your struggles are visible or invisible, I'm, I'm going to stand with you. Just like my wife chose me like this. She chose to stand with me regardless of what I look like. And I just want to fight like crazy for everybody. Dude, I love it. I love it. You fire me up. Um, Come on. Okay, I have one more question to ask you, but before I do, I know that my listeners are going to want to connect with you all over the interwebs and hear yeah. more about where you're speaking and maybe even invite you to speak. Where is the best thing to learn all things Gary? Man, uh, thank you for, for that opportunity. Uh, we have, have, since the book release uh, announcement, at least, since the, the, the book pre-order announcement release, I guess you should say, uh, I have a revamped website, and it's just my name. GaryMiracle.com. And no, I didn't change my name. That's not my, my amputee stage last name, like Miracle, like everybody asks. Is that, is that really, like, really? Like, no, I didn't go through that. I, I, my name is actually Gary Miracle, but GaryMiracle.com, there's a couple things on there. And, and one that I would give anything on this planet for people to take advantage of. But if you go to GaryMiracle.com, you can pre order the book. You can look at my schedule to see where I'm going. You can reach out to me to see if we can connect and I can come speak at your church or camp or conference or retreat or corporate event or, man, I don't care, secular, Christian, whatever, man. If there's an opportunity for me to share my story and share the love of Christ, you can find that there as well. All of my social media uh, platforms are on there that you can click on any one of those. I would be incredibly honored if you'd follow my journey there. But more importantly, there's a tab on top and guess what it says? No more bad days. Like there's a tab on top that says no more bad days because if you're out there and if you're listening and you just heard me say that I'm begging each and every person to talk to one other person to tell them about their struggles and to take their mask off and to tell them who they really are and what they're really struggling with. But I also know that the enemy creeps in and whispers in our ear saying, don't do that. They're going to judge you. They're going to blah, 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 whatever the enemy does. Cause he's so stinking good at what he does. And he tells us he's going to do it. He's coming to steal, kill and destroy. So why are we shocked when he does it? But then if we're still scared to do it, if you go to GaryMiracle.com, click on the no more bad days tab and tell me, what it is. Man, I will love you. I will see you. I will hear you. I will pray for you. Uh, Here at Team Gary Miracle Speaks, we will put all of our resources behind you wherever you're at in this country or this world to find a support system for you while you're out there. But man, if you're struggling and you're scared to tell that one person, tell me and I I got you. So thank you for that opportunity to kind of give me my own little commercial there. But uh, the the, the hub is GaryMiracle.com and you can get to me anywhere else from there. 
Love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. Last question I always love to ask people. It's an advice question. I ask you to go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, except I get to name the season of life that you're in. And so I'm going to take you back to Christmas day before Mm. your very first trip to the hospital. If you could go back in time and um, pull up a chair with that younger version of yourself uh, before all the stuff, before all the moments, if you could look that young man in the eye um, and sit right across from him and tell him one thing about what he's about to experience, what are you going to tell him? Hold on. (laughs) And man, Hug your family a little tighter every single day. Man, just just squeeze them. Be more present with your family, with your kids, or your parents, or your friends than you are with social media. Put your phone down and 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 be in that moment. You know, what are you gonna do with the next sixty seconds of your life? regardless of what happened in the last 60 seconds, man, my piece of advice is to, as it says in the old Testament, seek Jesus with all of your heart. And if you seek him, you will find him and he will direct your paths. So chase Christ with everything that you've got and squeeze your family a little tighter every day because you don't know if it might be your last. And that's not a scary thing, but, but man, I got to have a conversation with my 12 year old just last week who's going through something horrific right now that 12 year old shouldn't be struggling with or dealing with. And I am thanking God with all of my heart that I am still here to be his dad and to stand with him and to walk through this season with him because there was a time that I didn't know if I was going to make it. So my gosh, be there. Just stop people. Just stop begging you. Stop hiding. Stop pretending Take your mask off, show people who you really are, be vulnerable, be genuine, and shout from the rooftops that no matter what comes my way, I'm going to have no more bad days from here on out. Gary, thank you so much for your heart and your uh, willingness to share your vulnerability. It has been an absolute pleasure to hear your story and to get to know you. I, I really do appreciate it. Man, thank you so much for what you do and giving people like me a platform to talk about this kind of stuff. I appreciate you so much. I love this conversation with Gary and I just pray and hope that some somehow, some way we could all keep a little bit of his optimism. I appreciated his, uh, his life first, Romans 8.28. I love the way he says that not every door is a door that should open. So many good nuggets in this one, guys. I'm so thankful for Gary. Do me a favor. Let him know that you heard him here on the podcast. And the highest compliment you can give us, share this episode with a friend. Maybe somebody you know who needs a little extra motivation, a little extra hope, a little extra something. Guys, I'm thankful for each and every one of you. And remember, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move.